for being patient. Again, it's good to see everybody this morning. Um, we are going through the book of Acts, and um, not one of my favorite passages this morning. So if you are visiting with us, um, you get Ananias and Sapphira this morning. That's what happens when you go through uh, the Bible verse by verse. You are eventually going to come to something that um, uh, m- maybe is is odd, a little bit different, or a little bit difficult. So uh, we are looking at chapter 4, verse 32, and we're going to go through chapter 5, verse 11 this morning. Um, so far in the book of Acts, everything has been going pretty well. Um, we're looking at the start of the church. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit was coming. Holy Spirit comes, uh, and... and um, as, as promised, and they become his witnesses as he commanded them to, to do, and the church starts. We see in these early chapters that um, they are sharing the gospel with people. They're doing life together. Uh, the, the community of believers and the church is growing. Even in the, the face of adversity, as we talked about last week and really the week before as well, with threats from the religious leaders, the church is resolved. They are resolved in uh, following Jesus and being his witnesses. Peter and John, they refused to stop talking about Jesus as the church did as well. Uh, the church agreed with them, and, and we talked about the church gathering together and praying, not that God would remove them from this situation, but that God would give them the courage and boldness that they needed to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, even in the midst of this um, suffering and adversity. So things are going, this is why the book of Acts is so exciting, things are going uh, really well for the church, and it's amazing to see God adding to to their, their numbers daily. And if we're, if we're honest, when it comes to the book of Acts, for those of us who have read it and thought much about the church and what the church should do and what the church does, oftentimes we, we idealize um, the, the book of Acts and the first church. I, I, I do, right? Um, and and uh, the reality is that that church was not a perfect church, right? Like in my mind sometimes I think, man, if we could just be more like the church of Acts. Well, in some ways we are a lot like the church of Acts because that wasn't a perfect church. And the truth is um, no church is ever perfect. And if you are visiting, not perfect. Uh, and, and, and we don't claim to be. Um, there, there is no perfect church. You just won't find it. And, and the reason that you won't find a perfect church is because every church is filled with broken people. At best, at best, it is filled with broken people who really love Jesus. At best. Broken people who make mistakes, but people who really love Jesus and want to follow him. That's, that's at best, and the reality is we don't live in the best. Right? We, don't, we don't live there. The reality is that the church not only has people who love Jesus and want to follow him as a part of it, the church also has people who are a regular part, who call themselves believers, and who really aren't. People who really love themselves who seek their best and only pretend to be anything more. That's what we see this week. Pretenders, hypocrites in the church. 
It's a really hard passage, a passage that could leave us with a lot of questions and, and probably will, more questions than answers, in fact, and, and a passage that leaves a lot, if, I were, if, if we leave it to our minds, a, a lot of speculation. So what I want us to do as we get ready to dive into this passage, we do it every week, is pray together. But would you pray especially that the Lord would help us to see what, what he would have us to see this morning from this passage and, and keep us focused on, on that um, and not the speculation and madness. Um, pray, pray that God would be good, that the Holy Spirit would teach us, would encourage us, that the Holy Spirit would use this passage to shape us into the image of Jesus and the church to be the church that he wants us to be. Would you pray those things with me? Good. Let's pray together. What a beautiful thing, Father, that we can all pray together right now, our own prayers, and you, you hear them all, and um, you love the prayers of your people. What a, what a gift that we have in prayer. Uh, God, I pray for us this morning that you would um, be good to teach us this morning. Holy Spirit, that you would, would help us to stay on, on, on the word, that you would help us in um, in our questions and our uncertainty, um, that you would give us wisdom. Lord, we, we, we believe, help us in our unbelief. I pray that from, from the start. Uh, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, I think in these verses that we're going to look at today, uh, there's a big contrast. Now, I really think a, a big part of what God wants us to see is the backdrop of, of what was good and going on in the church. So uh, I want us to keep in mind the, the, the big picture of that contrast. And since uh, Luke starts with the good, we'll start with the good as well this morning. Um, we'll begin in chapter 4, verse 32, believers live living in light of the gospel. Believers living in light of the gospel. Now, I, I say that twice. In fact, I'll say it again. Believers living in light of the gospel. And I say that um, because I want to emphasize that these believers were indeed living in light of the gospel. They were living out their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ with all of its implications. This wasn't a matter for them of keeping the law or the rules, like these are the things that we have to do in order to be seen as good, in order to be valued by God, in order to be loved by him. It, it wasn't about keeping the rules. Um, it, it, it's about a heart that is set on loving God and loving others and a deep, deep belief in the gospel and, like I said, all of its implications. So let me read these verses. Believers living in light of the gospel. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, we talked about this last week, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, 
and it was distributed to Eve, called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is very similar language. We'll stop right there for now with the good of what we see in these believers living in light of the gospel. This is, this is very similar wording to what we talked about in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Um, particularly in 44 and 45, where we read, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, if you go back to that sermon, I'm really going to sort of hit some of the the highlights, I guess, from it, but we spent that whole sermon unpacking um, how what we see in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, is the response of the first church to believing the gospel and all of its implications, We live in a world, and in our Bible Belt culture especially, where for many the gospel has been reduced to some silly get-out-of-hell pass, Um, where, where if we say that we believe the right thing, we are forgiven, and when we die, we get to go to heaven, and that's the extent of the good news of the gospel. Um, That is true in part. Part of that is true. The gospel is the good news that we are forgiven because of Jesus, right? Jesus lived the life that we can't live, the life that we have failed to live in, in our sin. He lived the life of perfection that we should have lived. He, he died the death that we deserve, taking our sin upon himself, taking the wrath of God on the cross, taking the wrath of God that should have been ours. He took that for us. He substituted himself in our place and died the death that we deserve. On the third day, he was raised from death, defeating death and sin and Satan, the death that should be ours. He has taken on himself so that through faith, our faith in his work and not our own works, right, we are forgiven of sin. His righteousness is imputed to us. It's given to us. It's, it's granted to us as if we ourselves were righteous. We are, as we'll talk about in baptism, buried with him through this faith, buried with him in death, and raised with him to a newness of life. We are new creatures, forgiven and free, seen as holy and righteous by our great God. All of that is true, and one day when, when Jesus comes back to restore all things as they were intended, then we will be with him forever, what we refer to oftentimes as heaven. So, so that is, is true. It, it, it is true, but there is so much more. There are so many more implications of this good news. In, in Christ, we are made sons and daughters of God. God, we are his children, right? The Bible talks about that, talks about us, believers, followers, as children of God in many places, right? And so what we see in this first church, those who were living in light of the gospel, they were living as family. They believed this. They believed that they were um, made a family in Christ. They were made family. God is their father. The Bible calls them brothers and sisters, and they saw themselves as brothers and sisters. This isn't just a church family. This is so hard to get across to, to all of us, myself included, because this is not the culture that we were raised in. We were raised in the church family culture. 
right? The covered dish culture, the Sunday school culture, where that's our family when we show up on Sunday morning for Sunday school or at the covered dish event. It's the church family. That, that, listen to me. That is not what they believed here. They believed they were true family. Like Jesus, when he was, when he was teaching one day and they came and said, Teacher, your, your family is here, your mother and your brothers. And Jesus said, I don't know what you're talking about. This is my family, right? Th- those not discounting our, uh, our biological family don't hear me doing that. I am, I am raising our family in Christ. They saw themselves as family. So when we read these verses that they were selling their possessions and sharing what they had with others, it wasn't a law or a rule. You must sell all of your possessions. You must share with others. It's just what family does. In a healthy family, especially with the family of God, when there's a need in the family, then you do whatever needs to be done to take care of the need in that family. That's how they lived. They lived as if they were family. They really saw themselves and one another as family. Now, we talked as well pretty extensively um, last week about how the church prayed um, their response to the threats against them uh, by the religious leaders. They prayed, and verse 31 says, they continued to speak the word of God, the gospel. They, they, they continued to share the gospel. They continued to be witnesses of who Jesus was and what he had done, and they did that with boldness just as they prayed. Now, for us, this too is an identity issue. This too is one of the implications of, of the good news of Jesus. For us, when it comes to sharing the gospel or talking with people about our faith, we often, most often, see it as optional. Like that's something for church staff to do. That's something for the elders to do. That's something for for the people who are more trained, more comfortable, more gifted than we are. But listen to me, that's not true. That's a lie. We are all missionaries, each one of us. When we came to believe in Jesus, when we, when we became a part of this family, he gave us a, a, a new job. He gave us a new purpose in life, right? The great commission that was given to those first disciples is passed on to every generation of disciples after. Matthew chapter 28, where, where, where Jesus is getting ready to leave the disciples and he tells them what this commission is. He says, as you go, as you go about your life. It's not a missionary sending call to go to foreign countries. It's a call to every single follower of Christ. As you go, make disciples. As you go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. As you go, be my witnesses. Be my witnesses in Acts, Jesus says. As you go. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. That commission is our commission. Our lives, we are to be witnesses um, to to all that Jesus has done and and to who Jesus is. We are to be um, baptizing and teaching every one of us. Peter uh, said it this way in 1 Peter um, 2, verse 9. He said that in Christ, we have become the royal priesthood. Believers, we are a royal priesthood, and we are called to proclaim verbally the excellence Excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
That's what we are to do, and that's what we are to do because that's who we are. When we came to Christ, we were made missionaries, every one of us. Every one of us, as followers of Christ, we are missionaries. First church gave. The first church gave the way that they gave. They gave of themselves, they gave of their resources, not because the the tithe was required of them, but because Jesus had given of himself for them. They gave as it had been given to them. Jesus gave of himself joyfully. Jesus gave of himself sacrificially. And as he was on a mission of redemption and restoration, that mission is passed on to us, his followers. We are calling people to redemption and restoration in Christ, and we are also called to give as he has given. Joyfully and sacrificially, not according to the law, but but from the joy of our heart, like this first church did, to see other people come to know, love, and follow him. The first church was together in that. They were together in that both as as families and, and, and as missionaries. We also see um, in in their gracious acts and their commitment to to one another that they were living as servants, right? They were living as servants. They they lived as as family, as missionaries, and as servants. In Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 27, the disciples were arguing over um, who should be in charge, who should be next to Jesus, who should sit with Jesus, who should have the, the place of honor. And Jesus says, you know what, my kingdom's not that way. He says, you, you, you guys are, are far off. Like, I'm sure he was probably a little frustrated with them. He said, I came not to be served, but to what? To serve. To serve. He, he came to serve. Those who lead in his kingdom are to be like him, servants. Jesus was a servant. Paul described him that way in Philippians 2 when he said that Jesus left his his place of glory, humbling himself, taking on the flesh of of humanity and becoming like a servant. Jesus became a servant. He came serving us. Now, if Jesus perfectly bears the image of God that Adam was meant to bear, and he does, then this is the image that we were meant to bear. We were created to be servants. We were not created to be kings. Jesus is king. We are created to be servants. If we are being shaped into his image, and Paul says that we are in Romans 8, 28 and following, then that's the image we are being shaped into, the image of servants. It is, it is good news that we are redeemed from sin, that we are being shaped into the people that we are us. That is good news. These are the implications of the gospel. Jesus showed us. What, what it looks like to be shaped into his image, and it looks like us being servants. These first believers, they served one another. They opened their homes. They set their tables. They gave of their resources. They gave of themselves serving, and they did that because Jesus served them in that way. One more thing, right? Family, missionary, and servant. We talk about those identities a lot at New City. But one other thing that I I, I think that we can gather um, from these verses as far as believers living in light of the gospel, I I think what we see is them fulfilling um, Jesus' greatest command. 
right? Loving God and loving people. Loving God and loving people. Uh, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, one of the religious leaders, you, you may remember this story, sought to trap Jesus with a question, teacher, what is the greatest command? They were hoping he would say something and they could say, uh-huh, nope, that's not, that's not it. You obviously are not who you claim to be. Jesus answered, uh, answered them. He, here's, here's verse 37. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And then Jesus adds a second, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what Jesus is saying is your whole Old Testament hangs on these two commands. This is a picture, the Old Testament is a picture of what it means to love God with all that you are and all that you have and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is how we were meant to live. This is how we were created to live, loving God and loving our, our neighbor. Again, as, as we are redeemed from sin and transformed into the people that God meant for us to be, this is the fruit that our life bears this is what it looks like to live in light of all that God has done for us in Jesus. We love like we are loved. That's what it is. We love others like he loves us. I think this is what we see the church doing even when it is costly. Right? When they're, they're, they're selling their possession, their lands, their homes, they're selling and they're bringing, bringing the proceeds and putting it at the feet of the disciples. So, so what we see in the, in the good here of the church living in light of the gospel, what we see in those first verses is this. They, they, they weren't following a list of rules. There weren't rules of, of do's and don'ts on you must sell your, uh, sell your properties. You must sell all that you have and give it all to the church. This wasn't a, a law or a rule. They were living out what they believed to be true of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They believed that they were family, and so they lived like family. And this is what you do as a family. They were, they were missionaries, they believed. So they lived like they were on God's great mission of redemption and restoration. They were servants, and so they lived like Jesus, serving others, giving to one another, serving the people around them. They loved like they were being loved, loving God and loving their neighbor. This is the fruit of gospel faith. Now, I could just stop right there and we could ask the question, is this the fruit of our lives? I think it's a, a valid question. This was, this was the fruit, not a law, not a rule. It was the fruit of what they believed about what Jesus had done for them and who Jesus made them. So I say this is a contrast, right? Believers living in light of the gospel and the contrast is with hypocrites in the church. Hypocrites in the church. Yes, friends, there have been hypocrites in the church from the beginning. And if you are wondering, there are hypocrites here at New City. Wonder no more. We have all of these great things going on. We have these people who are living in light of the gospel. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, 
Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now, that is a crazy story, isn't it? I mean, if we're honest, I know some of you are like, well, it's in the Bible. It's not crazy. It's crazy. (laughs) I mean, as best I can tell from this, God killed Ananias and Sapphira. Just boom. God killed them. First, First him and then her. Ananias and, and, and Sapphira um, saw what others like Barnabas, right? We read about Barnabas in this first part, the good part, were doing. And so what they did was conspired together. They talked together and they agreed to sell a piece of their own property. But rather than giving all of the proceeds to the family, uh, they would keep some for themselves but tell everyone that they were giving it all to the church. So Peter says that Ananias' heart has been filled uh, by Satan to lie to the Holy Spirit about the uh, proceeds. Why, he asked. Um, Peter says, it, it was yours. Like, you didn't, you didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to sell the property. It was your property to keep or do whatever you wanted to with the proceeds, even after you sold it. There's no rule, no law. You could have done whatever you wanted to with the proceeds. You could have kept all of it. You could have given it all away. Why? Why? Why have you schemed this way in your heart? Now, that's important that they are scheming in their heart. They were, they were about something. And they were scheming for that something. He says, you have not lied to to us, to men, to this family, even though they had. He said, ultimately, you have lied to God. I like the way the King James says it here in verse 5. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And gave up the ghost. A few hours later... Uh, Sapphira comes in. Her husband has been taken out. She doesn't know what's happened. Peter asks, so did you sell the property for this amount? And she says, yes, that's, that's exactly right. That's what we sold it for. Peter says, how have you two agreed to test the spirit of the Lord? And Peter says, do you hear those steps coming? That's the guys who took your husband off, and they're about to take you off as well. And immediately she fell and breathed her last that's crazy. Why in the world did God do this? How in the world could God do this to them, right? I mean, those are questions that we ask if we're honest about it, and the truth is we don't know. <laughs> we, I, I can't give you an answer for, for why 
God did it this way. And the reason that I can't give you a specific answer as to why God did it this way is because Luke, the writer, doesn't give us an answer. He only tells us that it happened. But I think that we can gather some, some, some information and a, and a good, this is a part of the, um, the text, right? It says that fear came upon all who heard. I think this is a part of the reason why this happened. In, in both verses 5 and 11, we read that a great fear came upon the whole church and, and upon everyone who heard what had happened. This fear wasn't just a, and this is important too, This fear wasn't just a reverential awe of God. Like, this is a knee-shaking fear of God. This is, I I am scared of what God might do. This is a fear of punishment, a fear of of what happens when, when those of us who profess to be his children aren't walking with him. This is, this is a, a genuine fear of something terrible happening for those of us who claim to walk with him and, and, and yet we are offending him, right? This is a fear of offending God. And what God was doing was giving a warning. Now, I, I like the way that John Piper said this. John Piper said, the reason they drop dead is not because this happens to all hypocrites. The reason they drop dead is to give a strong warning to the whole church that phony Christians will end this way sooner or later. Now, this very fragile stage of the church, and not just the church as an organization, but the validity, the actual validity of the gospel and the gospel message being the message of redemption and restoration through Christ, the message coming from God. This was a very fragile time for the church and for that message. And so it seems that God is both protecting the church and protecting that message and making known his presence in the church. He's calling his people to remember his holiness Right? Sometimes we, we talk about cheap grace. No cheap grace after this one, right? J.D. Greer, a pastor, wrote this. If we're honest, many of us find God's actions here offensive. And that is true. Many of us find God's actions here offensive. But that merely reveals our ignorance of our sin and God's holiness. We shouldn't ask the question, why did they die? Instead, we should wonder, why do we remain alive? And all God's people said, I, for one, am very thankful that this isn't normative for God. Now, I had to talk about those things and, and what had happened. We needed to, to talk about that. But, but where, where I, I really want to get with this is back to belief and true belief. Um, hypocrites only pretend to believe. Hypocrites only pretend to believe. Now, we, we don't know whether Ananias and Sapphira were really Christians. Did they, did they really believe who Jesus was and what Jesus had done? I've read opinions and arguments on both sides of this in commentaries from people who are way smarter than I am. But I say again, we really don't know for sure. And the reason we really don't know is because Luke doesn't tell us. And so when the Bible doesn't tell us, 
then we don't know. So we don't know. But I think, I think that we can definitely see some areas of, of disbelief in their lives. Um, Barnabas and, and the others, as we talked about, really believed they were family, right? And I say again, not potluck family. I think potluck family is probably what Ananias and Sapphira believed they were with the other believers. Church family, potluck family, Sunday school family. But, but, but that's not what Barnabas and the others believed. They believed they were sons and daughters of God. And, and, and when we share a dad, what does that make us? Brothers and sisters. Makes us family. And in the blood of Christ, we are, we are family. They believed that they were truly family. And in a healthy family, especially in the family of God, we help one another. That's why they were doing what they were doing. When there's need in the family, we find a way to meet the need. Listen, Ananias and Sapphira were okay with giving a portion of their proceeds to help others, but, but, but it seems that what they really wanted to do was to help themselves. That's why they were conspiring together. That's why they were lying about it. I think the contrast and the mention of Barnabas is meant to be a, a, a help for us or, or a hint. Barnabas was praised for his gracious gift, for his generous offering to the family that he was a part of. People noticed Barnabas. In fact, Barnabas will become one of the leaders in the church. So, so it's not that, that Barnabas did this, it's just that probably praised Bar- the generous heart that Barnabas had and they praised the Lord and probably praised Barnabas as well. And I think that what Ananias and Sapphira wanted was some of that. They were more interested in the praise of men for their gift than they really were in helping others. So they were pretending. They were pretending to be as gracious and as generous as Barnabas was and as others were. They were pretending to care Pretending to give to others as Jesus had given to them. Uh, They were pretending to be a a, a deep member of this family. The family was what the family would give to them. Think about that in your own relationship with the church family. So you see probably where I'm going with this. They pretended that the mission was important to them. Right? Like, like, like Barnabas and the others, they were like all in on the mission. They really believed, hey, God has made us missionaries. This is, this is our purpose now to be a part of this huge story of redemption and restoration, to be a part of seeing eternity changed. They believed that, but, but not Ananias and Sapphira, it, it would seem. They were, they were more interested in the mission of making themselves look good. Their, their mission, yeah, we'll be a part of things, but really it's about, it's about self-promotion for them. About them being the ones who are praised, not Jesus. I said it already, they served, but, but they didn't really believe they were servants. Ultimately, they were like Jesus' disciples when they were walking with Jesus' disciples, wanting to be in the place of honor. They didn't want to be servants like Jesus. When it came to love, they lied to God. They lied to the Spirit. They lied to the church. They lied to the church leaders. They loved themselves more than they loved God or their neighbor. Again, they were hypocrites. They were pretenders. And one day the Lord will remove 
all of the pretenders. So here are a few things that I think that we can learn from this crazy story. Um, Some of this adapted from J.D. Greer and what he wrote on it. Um, But in the church, there have always been and will always be true believers and pretenders. Right? We see that. There is no perfect church. There has not been a perfect church from the beginning. There will always be hypocrites in the church. There will always be pretenders in the church. And there will always be true believers. And we may or may not be able to tell them apart. Here's another thing that we should take away from this. We cannot hide from God. Right? Our hiding, our scheming, our lying, Peter says, is, is, is not about lying to the body. You're lying to God. Your, your sin, your sin is against our holy God. That is who we sin against. Now, it's true. We, we, we may sin and it have effect on our brothers and our sisters, the people around us. Sometimes it may not even have a great effect on them, but it always is a gross sin against the holiness of God. There are no hiding places from God. No hiding places from his spirit. Thirdly, God loves his church fiercely. God loves his church fiercely. Uh, Thankfully, every liar and every pretender doesn't fall over dead. Y'all wouldn't have a pastor. We wouldn't have a church. Because everybody would be dead, right? Right? We have all pretended, we have all faked it at some point. God fiercely loves his church, and the fact that we are standing and they are not should not fool us into thinking that God does not care for his church. God cares deeply for his church, he does. He cares for the purity of his church. He cares greatly for how we act with one another and the things we do to one another. He cares deeply. And and, and though he may be slow to judge, um, almost always he is, thankfully, he is still a holy and just God. There should always be a healthy fear and respect of him and the judgment that he could bring. Now, there's one last thing. As I said a moment ago, while God sees you and knows you deeply, and I don't, and, and we don't, I, I think in our group this morning, um, there are three groups of people here. And, and so I want to say something to each of you. I think, I think here this morning, thankfully, um, we have true believers, right? We have people here who really do love Jesus and really do want to, to, to follow him. We have people here who are, are truly believers in the good news of the gospel and, and everything that we talked about earlier. To you, I want to say this. You will not live out your beliefs perfectly. Because some of you are thinking, man, I'm a, I'm a pretender. Am I in danger? Listen, true believer, true believer. God, God, God knows your heart. God knows you deeply and intimately and personally. He, he knows your love for him. He knows your desire. He knows your level of faith, and, and, and he has plenty of grace for you. He does. We believe, right? Help us in our unbelief. We believe these things even though we stumble in these things. So, so, so true believer, I, I know that you stumble. 
There's no condemnation in Christ. Living in light of the gospel, here's what we do. Where we are not living in light of the gospel as family, as missionaries, as servants, as people who love God and love our neighbor, then what the Bible calls us to do as true believers is repent. It means turn from that. Turn from that misbelief and that disbelief and believe the truth of the gospel and these implications of the gospel. Believe that you have been made family, so live like your family. Believe that God has, has made you a missionary and given you a mission. Live like you are on that mission. Let that mission shape your life. Right? God has made us servants. It's who we are as we are shaped into the image of Jesus. Repent of wanting to be the king. And take your rightful role as servant for the glory of God, for the good of his people, right? That's what it means to repent. Repent of not loving God. Repent of loving yourself more than God, of loving yourself more than your neighbor. As best you can, by God's grace, turn from that and pursue loving him and your neighbor. That's what it means. So true believer, if you are convicted this morning that you are sometimes a pretender, repent and believe the good news of the gospel. And there's grace and forgiveness, and God is working to sanctify you and shape you into the image of Jesus. We have another group in, in, in our midst this morning, and these are maybe seekers. Seekers, you are, you are here seeking, desiring to know more about this faith that we profess, about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And I, I want you to know if you are a seeker here and not really a believer, you are, you are welcome here. You are, you are welcome to, to come and be a part of New City Church, to, uh, to sit in, to watch, to listen for, for, for all of that. Keep coming, keep seeking, keep asking, keep searching. Here's what I would, I would say to you. There's no need to pretend. I just don't pretend. We're okay if you say, I'm just really not sure I believe that. Okay. I'm going to pray that you do. True believers, seekers, pretenders. Pretenders, you are here with no real love for God or for your neighbor, like Ananias and Sapphira. Being here is a means to some end that is not Jesus. I don't know what that is. Here's what I think the message is for you. Stop pretending. Stop pretending and just believe the good news of the gospel. Believe who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you. Repent of your pretending, of your hypocrisy, and and come and be a real part of the family. Or leave. Leave. Leave for the good of the body and leave for your own good. Leave. True believers, seekers, pretenders. I'm sure there are others here. Believe, right? I feel like I say this every week. So what do we do with this? Ultimately, believe the good news of the gospel. Believe the good news of the gospel. Believe the implications of the gospel and how God has transformed us in and through Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are gracious and patient and kind and that you, Lord, have not killed every one of us. Thank you for Jesus. 
Father, we, we, we do pray uh, for ourselves, for uh, maybe for ourselves as believers, for ourselves as a church. We pray for those who might be here and seeking. We pray for those who might be here and pretending. Help us. Help us to believe. Help us to live in light of the beautiful news of the gospel. Father, for New City, I pray that you would protect us from pretenders, that you would help us, um, help us to be a good church to seekers, that you would help us as family to serve one another, to, to give to one another, to help one another, to see one another grow deeper and deeper in the gospel. Help us to live as a family of missionary servants. Help us to love you and to love our neighbor as ourself. In Jesus' name, amen.